With all that said, today we continue in our series, This Is Us, where we are looking at what it means to be a Christian. What are the marks of Christianity? And today, I want to talk to you about this trait of generosity in this sermon that I'm calling, We Are Generous. And so, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, beginning in verse number 1, it says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving." I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for making this word real to every single one of us. Thank you for open hearts and ears. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to begin today with a little question. I need your help. I need participation on this. Um, how many of you would say, I need you to raise your hand, Pastor, I am generous. I'm, I'm a generous person. Let me see your hand. Generous people. I love the people that don't raise their hand. You know why? Because they're probably the only honest people in the room. No, just playing. Um, but I want to put, and, and I agree with you when I look out and see all those hands raised and all of our campus, I'm sure there were hands raised there as well. I see a lot of generous people. And the reason why I could say that with, with pretty good certainty is because did you know, for example, that our church outgives the average church in America two to one? Did you know that? Isn't that amazing? Give yourselves a big hand of praise for that. Our per person giving is about twice as much as the average church in America. And so, yes, I see a lot of generous people out here, but I want to put our generosity to the test. I want to, I want to see just how generous we all are. And so I'm going to bring you back to your school days. Anybody like school? Anybody like school? Anybody hate school? Haters of school? I hated school. I mean, I skipped so many college classes, I don't know how I got through. There was one class that I just went for the midterm and the final only. That's it. Calculus, nevertheless. I still got an A. Yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, Anyway, I want to give you a little test. Now, because this is school, and you'll see the test there in your notes, it's the generosity test. There's actually a study done around this test that I want you all to take for just a moment with me. And um, you can see that um, since it's school, no cheating. No looking at your neighbor's paper. No, no consulting with them about what they think you should write for the answer. Just real gut check, whatever comes to your heart. Next to the question that I'm going to ask you, you put zero if it never applies to you. Five if it almost always applies to you, okay? So number one, I am generous. I'm a generous person. What do you score? 
I do things for people other than my family. Second question, zero to five. I help friends and neighbors without pay. I make sure others' needs are met before my own. I make contributions to a number of good causes. Number six, I buy cards or novelties or mementos for my friends. Can I just be honest? I had to put zero down for this. I never do that. I was like, what a bad question. It's going to blow my whole score, right? Number seven, my family and friends would say that I am generous. I contribute to worthy causes more than others my age. I give adequate time to my loved ones. And at home or on the job, I give more energy than others. So that's your, your 10 questions. Now, total it up. Take a minute. Just add it all up. Somebody's like, well, can I get a calculator? Just add it in your head. Put it, put it all down there. And now when you get your total score, you'll notice that you, you find it on the left-hand side of the score uh, columns. And on the right-hand side of the score columns is a percentage, okay? So here's what it means. For instance, if you got 42, that means 87% you, of the, you are in the top 87% of the most generous people in the world. In other words, um, there's only 13% of the people that are more generous than you. If you got 25 or less on your percentile, 20, 20, actually 25 or less on your total score, you registered Scrooge in your generosity, okay? You're just, you know, you're, you're not doing too good. If you got 43 or better in your score, then you're in the top 90%, which means that you are either lying or you are a generosity general, okay? One of those things. Now, why did I have you do this? Well, first of all, I think it's good for us to just locate where we're at and and when I read, when I did this myself, I thought for sure I'd get a perfect score because I, I think I'm pretty generous. And I didn't. And the Lord said, aha, there, there's something for you in this message too. I was like, bring it on, God, because I want to be more generous. And there's great reasons to be generous. Number one on your outline, here's the first reason I think we ought to be generous as Christians because generosity leads to a better life. Generosity flat out leads to a better life. They took the results of this study, and here's what they found out. People scoring in 90% or better, they are the least stressed out individuals. 90% or better. Anybody could use a little less stress in your life? Here's how you get less stress. Less stress, more generosity, right? The most, they are also the most self-controlled individuals. The most self-controlled. They spend the least amount of days in the hospital. Generous people send the least, spend the least amount of days in the hospital. I mean, that's good news right there. They are the most committed to showing up at work. Generous people. And just by virtue of, if you came in here late today for service, you're probably not generous because you got an extra hour sleep and you are still late. Right? Generous people, they show up early to work, right? The last thing the data shows is it suggests that these people, 90% or better, they, they will be or they are the most prosperous of all people, of all individuals. So is it any wonder why John Wesley said this? He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can and all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you ever can. Generosity leads to a better life. Jesus himself taught us this in the scriptures. In Acts chapter 20, verse number 35, he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Generosity leads to a better life. Matter of fact, Proverbs tells us this also. Chapter 11, verse number 24, here's what it says. It says the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but I like for my world to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know why the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller and smaller? Because for the stingy, they are the center of their universe. For the generous, everybody else matters, right? So that world gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Matter of fact, I believe generosity leads to such a better life. I believe it touches every aspect of our life. And the Lord brought me back to something that I taught last week. And um, it was about tithing. And if you were here last week, we talked about not just the tithing aspect of putting God first, but, but putting God first in every aspect of our life. But you might recall that, that one of the ways God asks us to is to bring him the first 10% of all of our financial increase. That's called the tithe. And we learned that when we put God first in our lives, we win battles that we're supposed to lose. But when God is not first in our lives, we lose battles we're supposed to win. But one of the things God showed me about this area of generosity because tithing, it's not the pinnacle of generosity, by the way. I believe it's a step toward generosity, but it's not the pinnacle of generosity, but it is a step. And look at this one aspect of how this kind of generosity, putting God first in our finances by bringing him our tithe, touches every other area of our life. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 10, you know the verse. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In other words, the purpose for the tithe is to fund the work of the local church. That's what God says. And he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not notice. Throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there won't be room enough for you to receive it. And as I was studying this, the word floodgates just really just hit me because it's not used a lot in scriptures, only a couple times. One time here... One of the other really prominent times, and especially to the Jewish mind, was with the great flood of Noah. We, we know that, that the, the heavens opened up their floodgates and poured rain out upon the earth. Now, the interesting thing about when heaven opened its floodgates and rain came upon the earth is there wasn't an aspect of the earth that wasn't touched by that flood. Every aspect of the earth, every portion of the earth was touched by heaven's floodgates being opened. And notice here what it says. It says floodgates of heaven. In other words, what God is trying to say, I believe, is that when we put him first, when we're generous with him, what happens is everything heaven has to offer touches every area of our life. In other words, the presence of God every area of our life, the health of heaven, every area of our life, the the joy of heaven, every area of our life, the peace of heaven, every area of our life. Here's the principle. The principle is the general generous life leads to a better life. And I don't know about you, but, but I want the best life that I can possibly have. I know that sounds like, you know, we ask, but I think we all do. And so generous life leads to a, a better life. Number two, generosity. Here's the second reason why we ought to be generous generosity is a defining characteristic of God himself. When we think about God, I don't know if we think generosity, but but he's the most generous person that is in existence. Matter of fact, John chapter 3, verse 16, we know the Bible says, for God so loved the world, I'll read it in the Amplified, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world. And I like that. We are dearly prized by God. Dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten son. If you keep reading the gospel of John in the message version, John chapter 4, verse number 10, here's what it says. It says, if we only knew the generosity of God. In other words, if we only had a revelation of how generous God has actually been with us, that God loves to bless us, that he loves to give good things to us, that he delights in our prosperity, that he He gets joy when our, when our basket, the Bible says, is overflowing. God loves to be generous with us. In Romans... It puts it like this, Romans eleven thirty three, 
Have you ever come on anything quite like the extravagant generosity of God? There's nothing like it in all the world. This is who God is. It reminds me of this, this little story I heard about Alexander the Great. He was passing by a beggar, and the beggar wanted some money, and, and, and so Alexander the Great threw him some gold coins. And one of his servants were astonished at his generosity, and he said, he said, sir, you know, copper coins would have adequately met the beggar's need. And, and, and why give him gold? So Alexander responded, he said this, he said, copper coins would suit the beggar's needs, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. Isn't that amazing? That's God. This is God. You know, we think, why is God, why is God so generous with us? Because it's who he is. I, I think the G and God ought to stand for generosity. And I mean, when you think about God and you think about generosity, I think about open hands. Open hands are generous hands. In Psalm 145 verse 16, the scripture says, you open your hands and you satisfy every living thing with favor. Think about the hands of God in your mind with me for just a moment. I want you to just picture them right now. All throughout history, God has always dealt with us with, with open hands. In creation, he opened his hands and he, he shaped us and he formed us. All throughout time, he has opened his hands and he's, he's fed us and he's clothed us and he's protected us and he, he's given us favor and blessing. Even when his people rejected him, he opened his hands, gave manna from heaven, water from a rock. He's opened his hands time and time again. Picture them for a moment with me. Those hands touching and reaching, the outcast, the woman caught in adultery, blind Bartimaeus healing them. His hands are open to the up and coming, the rich young ruler, and, and even the centurion in Bible times. His hands are always open. Everywhere we see his hands open, healing blindness, healing leprosy. And of course, the greatest example we can see of God's hands being open is Jesus on the cross. There he is, his, his back is bludgeoned, his, his brow is beaten, you know, he's, he's marred beyond recognition, he, he's suspended between heaven and hell, and yet we don't find his hands at his side, we don't find his hands behind his back, we don't find his, his, his hands tightly uh, uh, clenched as a fist in anger, anguished, we find his arms outstretched and his hands open wide. Why? Because our God is such a generous, generous God. And when I thought about the generosity of God, uh, years ago, I wrote this little thing in my journal. I want to share it with you about, about God's hands. When I compare my hands to those which belong to you, it becomes clear that I need your touch. I need a breakthrough. For your hands are so much different than mine. I have hands that are common, but yours are divine. My common hands, they hold, they hold, and they grasp. My common hands, they're an extension of my sometimes hollow mask. My common hands, they don't give, but they seem to always take. My common hands, they often do things that make your heart break. But your hands, they're much different. They put mine to shame. They give life to the hurting and they heal the lame. Oh, what hands that you have, there's power in your touch. For by your hands, you send a message that you love us oh so much. You have hands that heal the wounded, hands with a touch that last, hands that help the blind, and hands that draw in the outcast, hands that call for redemption, and hands that calm oh so fast, hands that have scars of love, hands that wipe away my past. Oh, what hands that you have. They're so much different than mine, for you have hands that are truly, truly divine. So I'm asking you to make my hands more like yours, hands that touch the wounded, hands that no longer keep score, hands that give life to the hurting, hands unlike mine were before. Mold my hands in your image like unto you, my Lord. God's hands, generous hands, touching hands, 
caring hands, giving hands. This is our Father. Our Father is generous. And because our Father is generous, here's, here's, what that should, here's how that should rub off on us, number three on your outline. Generosity should be our thing. Because it's our Father's thing, it should be our thing. We should be like our Heavenly Father in every single way. Our Daddy is gracious, we ought to be gracious. Our Daddy's full of mercy, we ought to be full of mercy. Our Daddy is so forgiving, we ought to be so forgiving. Our our, our Daddy loves to be generous, we ought to love to be generous. Our hands, our heart, it it ought to model God's hands and God's heart. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 5.1, the Bible tells us this. Listen to what it says. It says, imitate there, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. In everything you do, figure out what is God like, and that's your model. That's your example. You know, people on this earth, I know that it's, it's good sometimes to have role models and stuff like that, but role models on this earth will fail us every single time because everybody's got shortcomings. But if we could just figure out what is God like and model ourselves after God, matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that to be godly, what does that mean to be godly, by the way? It simply means to be like God. That's it, just to be, be like God. I mean, we narrowly define it. We say, well, that means we have to be holy. Well, that's one aspect of being godly. It's not all the aspects of being godly. It means to just be like God. To say you're a Christian, what are you saying? You are Christ-like. Every time in the Scripture the Bible defines or, or tells what the godly are like, listen to what it says. Proverbs 21, verse 26 Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. Because we're going to be like God. We're going to love what God loves. Psalm 37 verse 21. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly, notice this, are generous givers. It should be our thing. Our our daddy is like that. We ought to be like that. We ought to be chips off the old block. If, if, If God is like that, we ought to be like that. Matter of fact, God told me something. He said, you know, it's your job. It's in your job description. This is what he told me. To teach my people to be generous. You're like, really, Pastor? Seriously? Yeah, you know, anybody have a job description? Anybody work for a place you have a job description? Somebody, anybody not have a job description at work? You get to do whatever you want, you know, just whatever you want, right? We all have job descriptions at work, right? If you don't have a job description, by the way, get a job description so you know what you're supposed to be doing so that you can be an excellent employee, right? So I have a job description, and my job description comes from God. In a lot of places in the Scripture, God will tell pastors what they're supposed to do. Here's one of them in the area of generosity. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those... This is Paul to Timothy. Paul is, you know, speaking on behalf of God, training Timothy for how to be the pastor. By the way, Timothy pastored the largest church in Bible times. So here's what he says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. How many of you know it's okay to enjoy stuff? It's okay. Thank God it's okay, because if it wasn't okay to enjoy stuff, you'll be going to hell right now, right? Is anybody going to enjoy some things today, right? That's not the purpose of things, but it's okay to enjoy things. Watch this. Command, strong language, them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Notice what Paul told Timothy. He said, you have a responsibility as a pastor to teach rich people to be generous. Somebody was like, because that doesn't apply to me, pastor. I ain't rich. Here's what I learned. I learned that everybody in this room, everybody at every single one of our campuses, everybody watching online, if you're watching from the United States especially, everybody, you're rich. 
By this world's standards, everybody in here is really, really rich. Did you know, for example, if you own a car, by own a car, I mean have a car, even if you have a payment on it, okay? If you own a car, by this world's standards, you are in the top 6 to 9% of the wealthiest people in the world, if you own a car. Ten percenters all in this room right here. Top ten. Every single person in this room. Top ten percent of the wealthiest people in the world. Let me just tell you how, how, how crazy wealthy we are. Most of us, I know this doesn't apply to everybody, but most of us not only have a car, but most of us drive our car home. And when we get near our house, we push this little button. And this door opens up just magically for us, right? Amazing. I mean, and then we pull our car into its very own house. Our houses have cars. Our cars have houses. Do you know that the size of the houses that we put our cars in, our car houses, are bigger than most people's houses throughout the whole course of the world? And most of us have more than one car house. Most of us have at least two. Some of us have three car houses. Could you imagine? Three car houses. You're like, well, Pastor, I don't have a car house. Well, just hang in there with me. But most of us are so rich that we actually go into a place that we call home. Ready for this? That's climate controlled. We have a climate controlled place where we can actually control the climate these days from our phones. Isn't that the coolest thing? You can just be like, you can control the house, you can control the alarm, you can control the lights, you can control the climate. I mean, it's climate controlled. Do you know most parts of the world, they don't have climate controlled places? We do. And then most, how rich is that? Most of us, we get to sleep in our own bed. We have a bed. We don't, we don't have just a, just a spot that we sweeped off on the floor. We've got a bed. Amazingly, it's comfortable and we have covers for that bed and that's how rich is that? And then most of us, here's what we do. Even if you don't have a car house, you got one of these houses. You got a clothes house. I know that you got, you call them a closet. It's a clothes house. And some of us, our clothes houses are so big, you could put a bed in the clothes house, right? And, and some of us, we walk into the clothes house. You know, you walk into, you're standing, and even if you don't walk into your clothes house, you still have a clothes house. It's called a closet, right? And in most of our clothes houses, there are actually clothes on the bottom rack and the top rack. And then there's a shoe rack and there's shoes that we haven't even worn in there forever. And, uh, and here's what we do. You kind of touch all the clothes. If you're like me, you kind of go like this, you kind of thumb through it, and you go, I've got nothing to wear. (laughs) How rich is that? Right? And so listen to me. This verse where God tells me as your pastor to teach you how to be generous is not just for the people whose money you wish you had. It is for everybody who is in this church because by world standards, we are all really, really, really wealthy and we ought to thank God for all of the things that we have. Can I get a good amen? And so Paul comes to this church, 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, the Corinthian church, the wealthiest church, and he's, he's wanting to teach them about generosity. Uh, because by the way, did you know the wealthier you get, usually the cheaper you get? Did you know that? You know, people don't think that. You know, people who make under $75,000 a year give an average of 2.8% of their income away. Nothing to be proud of, but that's just what the statistics say. You know, if you make between one hundred and two hundred thousand dollars a year, you only give away two point six percent of your income. It goes down. The more people think, the more I have, I'll, I'll be generous. Here is what usually happens: the more we have, the more we consume. The more we have, the bigger our bills get. 
And so we have different obligations and stuff like that. And so Paul is coming to this church, the Corinthian church, the richest of all the churches that he started, and they all came out of the Jerusalem church. And Paul started many, many, many churches. And he's getting ready to teach them about generosity. And in teaching them about generosity, he uses the Macedonian church, which was the poorest of all the church, as a model for how to give. So he uses poor people as the model to teach rich people how to give. Isn't that amazing? Think about that for a second, right? And they're taking up, here's why he's teaching them. Because believe it or not, I don't know how this happened. I believe it was really coincidental. I didn't plan for it. I didn't know that this was the scripture I was going to be teaching on this particular week. Yeah, right? Um, But he's actually talking to them about their annual special offering. Do you remember what he said to them in our opening text? He said, last year, you were the first ones who were eager to give. Last, wait, wait a second. I thought we were talking about this year. Yeah, but he starts off with, in other words, this is something that they did on a regular basis. And they're receiving this offering to send it back to the church in Jerusalem, which is their mother church where everything came from so that they can continue to fund and do the work of the Lord. And so he teaches them about what it takes to be generous. And the first thing he tells us, if we're going to be generous people, number one, I think this is probably most important. We have to be willing to give willfully. If you're not a willful giver, you're not generous, right? And so notice what he says here, verse number three. He says, for I testify that they gave, this is the Macedonian church, that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in his serve, in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. I mean, this would be like a pastor's dream, right? People come and say, please, can I give my offering now? I don't want to wait. They pleaded. They pleaded to share in this, this grace, this, this wonderful privilege of giving. Here's what they were doing. They were like, listen, we, we don't have much. The Macedonian church, we don't have much. But you know what? We can't sit this offering out. Here's what they were saying to Paul. Paul, I know you probably don't want us, don't expect much from us, but you know, we need to participate in this thing because, because we just, we know the privilege that this is. See, here's what they're saying. We want to give willfully, not because we have to, but because we want to. When our heart has been touched by the grace of God, we don't need to be coerced into giving. We should be ready to give. So this is why Paul continues to teach this, this whole thing throughout this whole text. He teaches about being willing to give in order to be generous. Verse 11, he says, Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be batched by the completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is accepted according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Here's what he's saying. Generosity doesn't start in the wallet. It starts in the heart. Generosity is not a matter of, uh, well, I'd like to, but I don't have anything. That's not generosity. Generosity doesn't start in the wallet. Generosity starts in the heart. This is why Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so the apostle Paul keeps banging away. At this point, you have to be a willing giver in order to be a generous person. And so he talks to them about giving for three chapters. A lot of people think, well, you know, the Bible really never talks about generosity or giving. And, you know, the apostles would never talk about that in church because that's not important. And Jesus would never talk about that in church. Do you know Jesus talked about it more than anybody else? Over half Jesus' parables were on generosity and giving. The apostle Paul is going on for three chapters now. Jesus talked about generosity and giving. More than he talked about prayer. More than he talked about faith. More than he talked about heaven. More than he talked about hell. Why? Is it because those things are less important than generosity? No. Generosity is not nearly as important as those things. Well, then why would Jesus talk about it so much? Because that's the thing that vies for our heart. 
And see, here's what Jesus does. A lot of people say, well, I would love Jesus to be my pastor because if Jesus was my pastor, I would never once have to hear a message about generosity. Oh, how mistaken you are because here's what Jesus would do. Jesus would get up and he would feel where everybody's heart is at and then he would go right for the heart. And whatever had the heart, that would be the thing that Jesus would teach on. So the apostle Paul continues for several chapters in chapter 9, verse number 7. Listen to what he says about being willing. He says, each of you should give what you have decided, decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Notice what he says. He said, this is a decision. Here's what he's telling us. He's saying, don't go to church. Don't go to the house of the Lord. Don't, don't go there thinking, well, what do I got left over in my pocket? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying decide it. Be a willful giver. He said, don't do it under compulsion. But he said, give, give willfully out of your heart. Matter of fact, I hate when people in my profession try to manipulate people into giving. I hate it. And pastors do it all the time. Okay, teaching on the subject is not manipulating people. It's just saying what the Bible says, right? But here's what would be manipulating people. I went to a big camp meeting one year, just about 10 years ago. I was so excited to be there. All the great preachers from around the globe were going to be at this camp meeting. And, and so it got the time to take the offering. And, and I had decided what I was going to give. I had come prepared, prayed up. I, I wasn't going to just give leftover change in my pocket. I had come, this is what I'm going to give at this particular conference. And it's a joy for me to give to the Lord. And so what they did was the preacher got up and he said, there's a hand people here who the Lord wants to give $1,000. And, and, and that's not all that bad. But what he then said, and this is really bad, is he said, and we're not going to go on with the service until all 100 people come forward. Right? I'm glad you all went, oh, because that means you've never seen that in this church, which I like. And you never will see that in this church. But here's what he did. He said, okay, I need, I need the first one to step forward. 10 minutes go by, nobody stepped forward. 15 minutes go by, nobody stepped forward. Finally, after 15 minutes, somebody came forward. He's going, oh, we got one. And then he, he said, we're not going further until we have all 100 people come forward. And he waited about 10 or 15 more minutes, and about three, four more people came forward. And he said, okay, we got four. We got four. But we're not going on with the service until all 100 people. We got an hour and a half into this. I looked at the person that came with me. I said, I'm a pastor. I love to give to God. But let's get out of here because there's nothing good going on here. This is manipulation. And I walked out. See, God does not want us to give out of compulsion. He doesn't want us to give reluctantly. God wants us to give willfully. Let me give you this illustration so you can really grab this. What if after service today, I, I grab my beautiful wife, beautiful wife of almost 25 years, not quite 25 years yet, 25 years in April. It'll, it's been the best 25 years of her life, she'll tell you. <laughs> it's my ongoing joke, by the way, if you've been here long enough. Anyway, what if I went over to my beautiful wife and I said to her, honey, I just, I just you know, I need, to, I need to confess this to you. I said, I, I really want to cheat on you. You know, um, it's kind of been, you know, the same old stuff for 25 years. I kind of need some variation. But, but here's the good news. I'm not going to. Even though I want to, I'm not going to. And, and the reason why I'm not going to is because I know that if I do, there's going to be a lot of consequences. Kids are going to be heard and church is going to be heard and, you know, all the sorts of things that I don't know about is going to go on. So, so because of the consequences, I just want you to know I'm not going to cheat on you, but I really want to. Any ladies finding me romantic at this particular time? Anybody thinking that's exactly what I'm hoping my husband tells me, right? See, here's the 
here's what God is saying here. We have this, this thing when it comes to being generous with God. Oh, I've got to. I, I have to. I said this to you last week. I'll say it to you again. If you never give a nickel to God, you're still going to heaven. If you never give a nickel to God, you're still welcome to this church. I don't know how it's possible for you to be saved and never give a nickel to God. But if you never did, it really doesn't change God's love for you whatsoever. We shouldn't give because there's a consequence. If we don't give, even though it's true that if we don't give, our life is not going to go as good as it otherwise could because it shows where our heart is at. And the real issue is not the, the giving, it's where our heart is at. And we shouldn't give because we, of all these exterior reasons. We should give because we love God. We should give because we realize what God has done. The sign of a transformed heart is a generous heart. Number two, the second thing he tells them. Is number two, give joyfully. Verse number two, he says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up to rich generosity. Overwhelming joy, extreme poverty, rich generosity. Which one of these things doesn't belong? Normally, if you want to talk about overwhelming joy, you talk about rich generosity. But, but there's something that's kind of muddying the waters here, and it's called extreme poverty. How can I have overwhelming joy when I have extreme poverty? Most people, if they have extreme poverty, most people, when they have financial lack, what happens is they get really, really grumpy and they get really, really irritable and they get really, really sad and really, really depressed. But there's something that changes our attitude even when we don't have much, and that is if we decide in our heart to be generous and we have this joy in our giving because, listen to me again, giving, generosity doesn't begin in the wallet. It begins in the heart, right? And so what happens is God is telling us we have to give with joy. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, if we go a little further into that verse that we read before, it ends with, for God loves a cheerful giver. It means hilarious giver. Come on, be honest with me. Anybody ever get hilarious about giving? Like really, really happy about it? I bet you you're selling yourself short. Any parents? Any parents? Okay. So you thought I was just talking about giving to God. Right now, from that perspective, any parents ever get really, really happy about giving? Can I see your hand? Look at that. See, here's why. When you give to your kids, right? Remember, Christmas time is coming around. What is the greatest joy for a parent at Christmas time? It's not what we get, right? Parent as, as parents, we couldn't care less. My wife asks me every year, "What do you want for Christmas?" I'm like, "Nothing." She's like, but I want to get you something. Like, I really don't want nothing. I'm cool. I'm good. I'm good. And she's like, well, yeah, I know what you're going to do. You're going to tell me you don't want nothing. You're going to go out and buy me all these gifts. And then we're going to be on Christmas morning, and I'm going to have all these gifts, and the kids are going to have all these gifts, and you're not going to have any gifts. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm cool with that. Here's why I'm cool with that. Because my joy is watching them give. I get cheerful about seeing them open up. It's a joy for me to give to them. I actually get giddy about it sometimes. And we have all sorts of things. You know, you hide the big present and you, you give the great reveal. And anybody ever get excited when you, when you gave your wife or your spouse something wonderful? It brings a big smile to your face. This is the kind of joy that God wants us to have when we give to him. And the reason why we don't have that kind of joy when we give to God is because maybe we don't have as tight of a relationship with God as we think we have because I want to put a smile on God's face. Give joyfully. How do I give willingly and how do I give joyfully? Number three on your outline. In order to do that, you got to give prayerfully. Prayerfully. Verse number five. And the only reason why I know it's verse five because this morning I thought it was verse three because I couldn't see the difference between a three and a five, because my eyes are not as strong as they used to be. And first service told me, so thank first service for that. 
give prayerfully, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us also. What did the Macedonian church do, even though they didn't have much, in order to exceed what they were able to give? Because, listen, a generous heart doesn't say, I think I'll pass this one pass this offering by, a generous heart says, what am I able to do? And God, with your help, how can I exceed what I'm able to do? And the only way that you can get to the place where you are willful, right, and where you're joyful in your giving is to be prayerful in your giving. Notice again, they gave themselves to the Lord. We have an example of this in the Bible, First Corinthians, First Chronicles chapter 29. David is receiving an offering for the building of God's house. And here's what it says in verse number 10. David Praise the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Now let me stop there for a moment. My kids get happy about giving me presents. Up until just a few years ago, the presents they gave me were with the money I gave them. And so they thought they were giving me something, but all they were doing is returning to me in a different form what I had already given them. And this is what David is trying to let us know here, that the reason why we should give prayerfully is because all we're doing when we give to the Lord is returning to God something in a different form of what he's already given to us because God has given us everything that we have. And so why wouldn't we pray? Why wouldn't we say to God, God says this is not mine. Notice what David said, this is yours and that is yours and this is yours and that is yours and the other thing is yours and I'm yours. Everything I have is yours. So it's all yours. How can I not consult you through prayer about what you want to pass through me? So we need to give prayerfully, prayerfully. Number, number four in your outline. By the way, let me talk, tell you something, a little funny story about giving prayerfully. A friend of mine was in a service one time, and they were taking up an offering. And the Lord spoke to him and said, give $10,000. And so he was a little nervous about that. I think the reason why sometimes people don't speak to the Lord about giving is because we get nervous about what he'll say. Right? Isn't that true? I, can I be honest with you? After, like, praying on it for a couple of weeks, I usually have to stop praying. Because if I don't stop praying, that just keeps going up and up and up. And I'm like, come on, God. Because God will start getting into your place of being uncomfortable. Anyway, so the, the, the Lord speaks to start give $10,000. And he's getting all nervous about it. Right at that moment that the offering was about ready to come by, his friend reaches over to him, leans over to him and says, Hey, so I think I just heard God say to me to give $10,000. And my friend goes, Whoosh, I thought he was talking to me. <laughs> God will talk to you. Give some prayer. Number four, I want you to, if you're going to be generous, give intentionally. Second Corinthians 9, 7. Again, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart. You've made a decision about this. You've prayed about this. You've spent some time on this. It's not giving leftovers to God. It's being obedient to God. It's giving God what God asks us to give. And so notice how we should do this. Second Corinthians 8, 7, and 8, our text. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, 
in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love that we have kindled in you. I like this language. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Notice what he says, see to it. If you're going to see to something, then you have to be intentional about it, right? Can I just, can I just, just explode a myth? Nothing ever happens by accident in our lives. We don't accidentally get promoted. We don't accidentally get rewarded. We don't, we don't, we don't accidentally grow in our relationship with God. We don't accidentally fulfill our dreams. We have to be intentional about those things in order to see God move in our lives. And so here's what God is saying. He's saying be intentional with your generosity. Is anybody intentional about saving for retirement? Can I see your hand? You're intentional about saving for retirement? If you're not, you should be. Well, Pastor, I don't have enough to be uh, to be intentional about retirement. Every single one of you does. I'll tell you how you can free up all sorts of money. Are you ready for this? I'm going to give you a couple of good ways. This is just free for, for the 11 o'clock service, okay? Number one, stop going to Starbucks every day. It's almost $7 a drink. Take the $7 a drink times five days a week. That's 35 bucks a week times four, four weeks in a month. That's $140. Take that $140 and put that in your retirement account, and you will be rich if you start by the time you're 20. It's pretty good, right? Want another free tip? Same thing for Dunkin' Donuts. Want another free tip? If you don't have anything, if you haven't done it already, cut off your home phone. Just have a cell phone. Take that money that you would have put on your home phone because your cell phone will work in your home. Put that into your retirement. That's another good one right there. I want to get another tip. Cut off the cable. Don't watch so much TV in your house. Yeah, but that, that would be uncomfortable for me, Pastor. Yeah, but you'll still be rich when you retire. See, nobody said that that accomplishing things doesn't require sacrifice on our, on our part. So everybody can make choices. Here's what God is saying. We're intentional about saving for retirement. We're intentional about saving for vacations. We're intentional even these days about saving for the latest iPhone. Lay away on the iPhone. Okay, I want this iPhone. I can't afford it right now. I'll put this amount of money away each time. Here's what God is saying. What's your your intentional giving plan? How can you be generous with me? And then notice the next thing he says. After give intentionally, he teaches them give selflessly. Verse number 9. Not so sure, but somewhere around there. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give. I told you they did it every year. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. What is he saying? Give selflessly. How? Remember how Christ gave. Christ didn't have to, but he did. He was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He was king, yet for your sakes he became servant. He was in constant fellowship with the, with the Father, but for your sakes he became forsaken by the Father. He, he, he was in heaven, but for your sakes he was born in a manger. Everything he did, he was perfect, but for your sakes he became guilty. He was, he was sinless, yet for your sakes he became full of sin on that cross. And so what is he saying? He gave selflessly, followed the example of Jesus. If we're going to be generous, number six, we need to give equally. Verse number 13 of the same chapter, listen to what he says carefully. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. 
at this present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. What is God saying? If we're going to be generous, we need to give equally. And somebody said, Pastor, equally? I can't give what they give. I don't have what they have. That's not what equal means. It's not equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. It's everybody getting their heart before God and saying to God, you know what, God? I'm in because I want to be generous. And God, I'm in because of everything that you did. And I want to be selfless. And and I want to give willingly. And I want to give joyfully. And I want to give intentionally. And so, God, I'm in. And here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm just going to get before you like everybody else. I'm going to ask you to do through me what what you would have me to do. And when we do that, we become a team. We become a partner. Here's the reason why. Can I just be real honest with you? Churches across America don't work the way that they're supposed to. It's because not everybody shares the load equally. Only some people serve. Only some people prioritize God in their giving. Everybody gets the same service. Everybody gets the same services. But the reason why there's not the impact that God wants us to have is because we don't know about giving equally. And so God tells us we need to do this. I mean, think about this. We cannot repay God for everything he's done. Psalm 116 verse 12 says, how can I repay the Lord for all of his goodness to me? Truth is we can't. I can't repay. You can't repay the Lord for saving you. You can't repay the Lord for redeeming you. We can't repay the Lord for for getting us out of our own life. We can't repay the Lord for rescuing us from hell. We can't repay the Lord for the fact that we're going to heaven. We can't repay the Lord for dying on the cross. There's nothing that we can do, but you know what we can do? We can take equal part in what matters most to God. And that is reaching people by being contributors, generous contributors to the gospel. Last thing I want to share with you today is that we need to, number seven, give expectantly. Now, the reason why I left this for last is because this is not the place to start when it comes to giving. Most people, when they think about giving to God, they think about God as a gumball machine. I put a quarter in, give something to God, God gives me a gumball out. The reason why I'm putting the quarter in is to get the gumball out. That's not the place to start when it comes to giving. Giving is a matter of our heart. If we put a quarter in and never got a gumball out, the fact that we put a quarter in and it was used for God's glory should be all the thanks that we need. But here, but listen to me. But here is the thing. But here is the thing. When we give to God, God can't help himself. So the Apostle Paul says in verse number 6 of 2 Corinthians 9, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Why? Verse number 8, because God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. What's he saying? He's saying you don't give in order to get But here's what he's telling us. When you give from the right heart, when you're generous from the right heart, when you give because you love God, when you give because of what Jesus has done, God can't help himself. God has to pour it back into your life and into my life because he just loves us that much. You can't ever, ever, ever outgive God. He has to bless us back, not because he's bound to, but because he He wants to.